I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. I was driving home after rock climbing with my friend Phil yesterday. And I was at the on-ramp, the single lane on-ramp right before Ferry Street at the wraparound by the old E-Web building in Eugene. Hill there is a little bit steep. And as I'm coming up, I see a car stopped a few in front of me. It's got its hazard lights on. One car behind it kind of drives over the median, gets around it, goes on to Ferry Street. Then another car finds its way around it, on, and then the third car goes past it. So then I'm directly behind this car with its hazard lights on and it's stuck on the steep hill. And I realize they might need help. So I kind of sort through what's in the middle of my car and find a dirty mask and throw it on really quickly, hop out of my Jeep, run up to their car. And when I get there, it's a mother and a daughter And the mother doesn't speak English. She only speaks Spanish. The daughter speaks a little bit of English. So we're kind of going back and forth in English and Spanish, talking about what's going on with their car. And I realized that I don't speak a lot of transmission and automotive Spanish, or not often. So I'm asking her different questions. But the other problem is, even though she speaks Spanish, she doesn't know anything about cars. So even the questions and the cognates, I do know, we're struggling a little bit. She's not sure what she did. So I have her turn everything off, pump the gas twice, turn the lights off, turn the radio off, turn the heater off, try to start the car again, try to figure out what's going on. And as I'm going through this process with her, the cars behind start to get annoyed. This lady starts randomly just honking, like just honking waiting. Now there's, you know, six or seven cars and then eight and then nine. A couple cars behind her, there's this young guy, maybe 18 years old, 120 pounds, looks really hungover, gets out of his car all waif-like, and he yells, hey, asshole, hold you up. And I was like, what? That's right, you. I will, I'll, and he's cussing at me. I'm like, <laughs> yo, I'm just trying to help this lady get off the road. The lady who honks is like, oh, oh, sorry. Yells out her window. The 18-year-old kid, he's like, that's right, I'm going to f- you up. I was like, really, dude? Like, this isn't. So I just ignore him. He keeps yelling at me. I'm trying to speak in English and Spanish with this woman and her daughter. We get her car started. And I ask, you know, does she have someone she can call? She says she does. So then I say, I'm going to follow her to the gas station just over the bridge and just make sure she gets there. And if she gets there, then she's okay, you know. I don't want to overdo it. Seem weird. So her car started. I run back to my Jeep. The whole time, 18-year-old guys just yelling at me, cussing at me, saying what he's going to do to me if he can get to me, even though he's standing still at his car. And I hop in my Jeep, take off the brake, slowly follow the woman who's got her hazards on, and we drive like 15 miles an hour 
onto the road, over the bridge, to the gas station. I follow her, she pulls in, and then I wave to her and her daughter, and then I drive on. And as I drive on up Coburn, 18-year-old guy follows me on my bumper. He's yelling things out his window. When I stop at a red light, he pulls up next to me. And he's like, F you, man. I'm gonna, and I'm like, okay, all right, let's do that. He kind of looks at me like, okay. And I just yell out my window, I'm not really sure what you're mad about, but okay. And he's like, whatever. I mean, I would F you up. I would. I was like, okay. And then he rolls up his window, and I roll up my window, and then he speeds off like a gangster. And afterwards, I was like, man, people are weird. I don't even know what that guy was mad about. People are so self-focused, weirdly self-focused. But then I realized, so am I. Because the other day, I was driving to camp by myself to rock climb for a couple of days by myself, to read in a hammock, to sleep in in a sleeping bag, to just completely chill. And I'm driving along 126, which is the route that follows the Holiday Farm Fire from 2020 in Oregon. And as I'm going along 126, there's a series of stops where they have road crews clearing the old burned trees. And there were four stops in a row, but one of the stops took 40 minutes. So for 40 minutes, all these cars are just sitting there waiting to go. 40 minutes is a long time to wait with a flagger and a line of cars. Long enough that people are getting out and going pee and people are turning off their cars and people are walking up and down the road. And I started to get annoyed. I was like, I feel like they could be more efficient, you know, and I'm kind of like running this narrative in my head. Like if they'd done this, then we could go through quicker and then they could go kind of trade off the pilot car more quickly, everything. And I'm not really thinking about the fact that if it's 40 minutes, what they're really doing is closing both lanes of the highway, getting a bunch of burned trees onto trucks and then going on. And I'm kind of getting annoyed as I'm sitting in my very comfortable Jeep reading chilling, not in any hurry at all, on my way to camp by myself, where I'll also just be chilling, reading, not in any hurry at all. And then I realized there were 4,700 people who lost their homes in the holiday farm fire. They lost their homes. They lost their entire lives. Some of their neighbors burned. Lots of their pets were left behind and died. 4,700 people lost their homes. And I'm like, so annoying to have to wait for 40 minutes in my car. I'm the jerk. So I was camping by myself at the Sisters Boulders. And you have to picture this camp place. It's not campsites. There are no sites. It's on BLM land, so it's legal camping for 30 days, but 
Nobody camps that long out there because there's a tiny dirt circle turnaround. You drive a gravel road to a dirt road to a rutted dirt entrance road. And there are no campsites. There's no water. There are no facilities. It's completely free. But when you've got to go to the bathroom, you dig a hole. You have to bring your own water. You sometimes won't see people for many, many days. So I'm camping by myself out there. And even the dirt turnaround isn't remote enough. So I drive on an old, old abandoned forest service road that's kind of invisible now to get back to a further campsite back behind the boulders where I've built my own fire ring. And I can really be by myself. So I'm out there completely alone all day, afternoon, evening. Gets dark, chilling by my little stick campfire reading. And I hear something far away, a quarter mile away. A car is kind of coming along that dirt road way back, further away than the turnaround. They're dumping music, and that's the only way I can hear them. And I see that they've taken the big circle road, which is out to the southwest of me. And they stop by an area I know as Split Rock, where I once found the skeletal remains of a deer that a mountain lion had pulled up on top of this split boulder and eaten there, where the coyotes couldn't climb to get to it. So they stop out in the direction of Split Rock. I'm not sure that's where they are, though, because it's dark. But I can hear their music. And I'm still sitting by my fire, my stick fire, reading quietly by my headlamp. And they start to make some pretty weird noises. I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like um, wailing, punctuated by like odd kind of bark screams every, you know, half minute or something. I'm worried that they're doing something to someone. It, It doesn't sound normal. It's not like normal music partying sounds. It's kind of odd sounds, like they've trapped a human in their van or something. So I decide I'm going to go over there. But there's no road to there. There's no trail to there. It's just cutting through the forest a quarter mile to get to Split Rock, if that's even where they are. I'm kind of guesstimating in the dark. So I want to go check and see what they're doing but I don't want them to know that I'm here and my fire is small enough and far enough away that they won't see the light. So I leave it, I turn my headlamp off and I start hiking through the dark forest towards them. I know right where they are because they're loud. So I'm hiking towards them, kind of come over a little rise and then down into the flats again. And I'm Hiking across the flat forest, it's ponderosa and juniper. There's mule's ear and sage. And I'm walking kind of quietly. I don't want them to hear me. I don't think they will because they've got their music going. They've got their van still running, lights on. And they're doing their weird like yelling thing, barking thing. So the last maybe, I don't know, 100 yards 
I'm picking my way quietly tree to tree. The front lights of their van are shining off into the forest to the west, and I'm coming from the north. So they won't see me by those lights. And as long as I stay quiet and I don't snap any big sticks in the last, like, 50 yards, they won't hear me. So I'm picking tree to tree. Now I'm just going ponderosa to ponderosa, moving quickly but quietly, trunk to trunk. And I get maybe 40 yards away and then 30 yards away and then 20 yards away. And I stop behind this ponderosa and it's big. And I lean my head around it. And I see it's kind of a mixed group of people. Six. Three males, three females. A couple are in the van, hopping in and out of the van, playing this kind of strange ambient music. And four are around the fire ring, and they are by Split Rock. And they've got this fire ring, and they're about to start a fire, and they dump lighter fluid on it. They've all got headlamps on. This one guy starts the fire, and it bursts big. And suddenly they're really illuminated. And there's enough light to get all the way to me, so I kind of duck behind the trunk again. And then I lean back around. One of the girls is on something maybe like mushrooms. I don't know if everybody is, but she's kind of tripping out, dancing in circles. And every half minute, she kind of does this crazy wailing yell, and then everybody laughs hysterically. And then the guy who's getting in and out of the band is kind of singing or something. I'm not really sure what he's trying to do. He doesn't have a good voice, so it sounds weird. And I realized that those were the sounds that I was hearing. He's weird singing, and Mushroom Girl's punctuated yells, dancing in a circle, then cackling laughter. And then a few of them go back to the van and they carry food back out to the fire ring. And then they carry some bedrolls out, sleeping pads and sleeping bags. And I'm watching all this from around the tree. And then I have a realization again. I'm the weird guy. If they see me, I look like a psychopath. I'm a guy hiding behind a tree watching them in the dark. In this scenario, I'm the guy waiting for them in the woods. I'm the serial killer. And I realize that they can't see my face. If they see me, they're going to freak out, especially Mushroom Girl, but all of them. I wonder, would they chase me? Do they have guns? They definitely think I was the endangering thing for sure. So I start to back up, but I'm trying not to step on twigs. And I snap a little twig, but they don't hear me. And I back to the next ponderosa and the next ponderosa. And then I'm 40 yards away, and then I'm 50 yards away. And I still have my headlamp on my head, but I don't turn it on. And I back away far enough that I don't think their firelight can spotlight me. And then I turn, and I quickly, quietly head back over the rise, back to my camp, and realize... I'm the creep. My 16-year-old daughter, Rue, and I are pretty close. And um, she wanted me to take her to her women's care appointment to her gynecologist recently. 
and sit in on the appointment with her and help her to make decisions. So I said, sure, you know, of course, I'll go to the doctor anytime with you. But when we got to the women's care center, the receptionist was not polite to me. She clearly did not like me being there. And then when we got into the actual physician's room, the nurse came in to check my daughter's blood pressure and all that. And she did not like me. She was very, very rude to me. By the time the doctor finally came in, the doctor was incredibly professional and polite. She treated me fine. She was fine with me being there. She's experienced and she's probably seen everything. But overall, it was an interesting day at women's care. So a few days ago, I needed to take my daughter again to women's care. Same exact place. Same exact people. Obviously, Rue and I are the same. But before we left, Rue said, I have an idea. She said, instead of dressing how I normally dress, I'm going to dress like a very preppy, basic girl. And she pulled her hair back into a ponytail and put a university sweatshirt on and some skinny jeans and some Nikes. She said, and dad, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dress like a dad. And I was like, I am a dad. She's like, no, I want you to dress like a dad, dad. I was like, okay. She's like, I want you to dress like an insurance salesman. Not like the guy who's trying to get the part in eight mile. And I was like, okay. Okay. And I thought back to what I had worn the last time, just a couple weeks ago when I took her to women's care. And I had worn uh, Adidas track pants, some baller shoes, a hoodie with the hood on, a uh, stocking cap pulled down. So I had a stocking cap and a hoodie, track pants, and baller shoes. And Rue said, what I want you to wear is a button-up shirt with a nice watch, um, some khaki pants, some leather shoes. And I was like, okay. And I have all of those because when my dad retired and moved from Eugene, Oregon to Tucson, Arizona, I got a lot of his clothes. So I have my dad's old khaki pants, his old button-up linen shirt. I have a watch. I have leather shoes. I wore no hat at all. I tried to dress like an insurance salesman, Dad. And Ruthie and I called each other new names. So instead of Rue and Dad, I was Todd and she was Michaela. And Todd and Michaela went to women's care. And when Todd and Michaela went up to the receptionist's desks, the receptionist was so polite to Todd and Michaela. She was incredibly nice. She called Todd sir. And he called her ma'am. And when we were back in the doctor's room, the exam room, the exact same nurse came in, same one as before. I don't think she recognized us. I don't think she looked at the names on the chart. She didn't know that my name was now Todd. But she was so polite to me. And she called me sir. And I called her ma'am. And we were very kind. And when the doctor came in, the doctor, she treated us exactly the same as the first time. 
So I don't dress well. And I wrote an essay about that a couple years ago, back when there was school, or real school, in-person school. It's titled Declaration of a Super Scrum. And it's in my collection of essays, Confessions of the Last Man on Earth Without a Cell Phone. The essay starts like this. Since I teach high school and my last name is Hoffmeister, I get called a lot of different names. There's the standard Mr. Hoffmeister, or Hoffmeister for short. But I've also been called Hoff, Hoffy, the Hoff, Pistol Pete, Hofster, Coach, even though I don't coach. Meister, Meister Hoff. Students for a couple years called me the Honey Badger. For almost a decade, I've now been called Fat Jeff, Jiggly Jeff, or Mom. And since I'm built on the short side for a fully aged grown-up, I've also been called Small, Shorty, Shoddy, and Little Big Man. And none of those names have ever bothered me. High school kids enjoy their nicknames, their pet names, their handles. But the other day I was called a name I didn't like. I was out behind the school in the cold wearing old blue tennis shoes, a turquoise coat some guy gave to me, a big stocking cap and shorts. None of the colors of anything I was wearing matched. A senior girl from one of my classes walked up to me and laughed. She said, Hoff, you look like a scrub. I was taken aback. I'd heard her, but I said, A what? A scrub. Just look at you. She pointed at the individual elements of my outfit. Serious scrub time, Hoffy. I considered arguing with her. Scrub didn't sound good. I felt like I'd just been called the ugliest sibling. But then I had to ask myself, Well, is it true? Am I really just a scrub? Being an English teacher, I wanted a definition for the word, but the American heritage gave me only, quote, to clean with hard rubbing, and that's not even a noun. Webster's says, noun, a domestic animal of mixed or unknown parentage. Nah, that's not what the girl meant. So I googled and got different returns. TLC saying, a scrub is a guy that can't get no love from me. And I certainly wasn't getting no love when I got called a scrub. So, yeah, I might be a scrub. Skilo helped me go a little farther with my understanding. I wish I was a little bit taller, he said. He was currently a scrub but planned on becoming a baller. Self-analysis again. I'm only five feet five inches tall. That might be scrub-like. I spent a few weeks listening to hip-hop and cross-referencing material with interviews of professional athletes. And all that research got me to thinking, what if I am a scrub? Since rappers, NFL Pro Bowl linebackers, and NBA superstars are ballers, not scrubs, I could redefine myself by comparing to their key standards, to their life choices, and to their values. Using the following ten categories, I realized that I am not only a scrub, but in fact... A super scrub. Number one, my ride. No caddy at the crib, no Escalade rolling, no white Lexus on the slow. Nah, my ride is actually a bicycle. Bike. Not a motorcycle, but an actual bicycle. I got the frame for $10 and added components myself. 
So that's my transportation to and from work or what I ride to meet people for coffee. I found these bad 90s jokes on the internet. Your boyfriend's so whack, he gotta pick you up on his handlebars. Or, another one, your boyfriend's so whack, he gets all hot and sweaty from pedaling his bike. Number two, attire. I've never been inside an Amber Crombie and Fitch store or Hollister. I not only don't wear Armani, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what an Armani suit looks like. Does it have stripes? Is it made of silk? Goodwill is too uptown for me. St. Benny's too expensive. In fact, I get all my clothes for free. My friends and family members kick me their leftovers, their hand-me-downs, their throwaways, so there are days when I do look like a bum. And that's not a cliche simile. I look like a real-life bum, a legitimate homeless person, which I'm not really offended by. Most homeless people I've met are pretty nice. Number three, technology. There are no plasma TVs in my house. I'm not sure what high-def looks like. We don't get cable or satellite, and I think a Blu-ray player looks like a DVD player, but I don't know. I don't own an iPhone or any cell phone at all, for that matter. I don't know how to text message, and I definitely don't know how to send a hot sext. There are no touch screens recharging in my office, and my office is my own kitchen table that usually has old food stuck to it. Here's something about my technology purchasing goals. Next story I sell, I'm going to buy myself an oven that works. Number four, chillin'. A night of quiet reading sounds pretty good or writing with a cup of coffee close at hand in the morning. Early morning, not hungover. That would be hella tight. I like to drink tea and play Trivial Pursuit. I don't remember how to play dominoes anymore and I leave Hennessy on the shelf at the store. I don't go clubbing. As NFL defensive back Pac-Man Jones once said, I'm not going to go to no script clubs because I know I don't need to be at no script clubs no more. Well, to tell you the truth, I've never been to a strip club in my life. They don't sound exciting to me. To me, strip clubs sound dirty and sad. Number five, got game. To say that I got no game with the ladies is such an understatement. It's like saying Robert Redford is old. It's like announcing Rihanna can sing. Or telling people that you think Donald Trump wouldn't make a great foot soldier. My game's that bad. The first time I met my wife, I got nervous, awkward, and wordy. I bragged about being an English literature major and taking a class focusing on Scottish romanticism. Then I told her I had a prosthetic elbow. Prosthetic elbows are not real, or not that I know of, and she knew that. She looked at my long sleeve shirt and shook her head. No. Number six, bling. I read that Pharrell Williams once spent a million dollars on a chain, but if I had a necklace on, especially a thick rapper's chain, I'd get claustrophobic. And if I was claustrophobic, how could I be pimping? I have no gold crosses, no diamond earrings, no clocks, no St. Anthony's, no pinky rings. When I go by a jewelry store, I don't go in. I don't even consider it. I don't even think anything at all. And I'm afraid of the mall, too. Neon and fluorescent lights both freak me out. With my brain injury, they could cause a seizure. 
So how am I going to go trade my gold in for platinum? How am I going to roll six carats deep, or as Cardi B says, white Porsches and carats? Vacays is number seven. I've never been to Grand Cayman, the Bahamas, Puerto Vallarta, the Ritz, Athens, or Milan. I've never been to the Cannes Film Festival. Never been to Carnival in Rio or Spring Break on Miami Beach. I can't even afford to visit New York City unless my publisher sends me. So not only can I not afford ballers' vacations, I can't even afford to visit where some of them actually live. And goodness knows I don't sit around wearing Louis boat shoes on a yacht, drinking Cristal at sundown. That's just not the way I kick it. Number eight, homies. When I listen to Wu-Tang, I know they all chill together. I can hear it. They have at least as many homies as band members, which I think is 42. Right? And Jay-Z raps MJ at Summer Jam, Obama on the text. Y'all should be afraid of what I'm going to do next. But I got no posse, zero bitches, and you have nothing to be afraid of here. Me, I have only one friend. One. Not that I don't talk to other people on the phone or write letters once in a while, but I really only have one non-family member I hang out with. It's gotten so bad lately that we all call him my only friend in the entire world, Jeff. Thus my nickname. Because I'm a little um, thicker than Jeff. My students call me Fat Jeff. Number nine. Moves. After a wedding reception, my own wife once said, you're not a very good dancer. I was shocked. I thought we just had a lot of fun at the party. I said, how bad am I really? She sucked her teeth and squinted one of her eyes and said, I'd say worse than most. Really? Yeah, she said, probably worse than 90%. So I'm 10% worse than other people? No, she said. Looking at it the other way, you're 90% worse. And that was from the woman who loves me enough to bear my children. Number 10, bills. Let's just say I don't stack paper. I don't drop Benjamins. I never get, quote, two bands down in Atlantic City because I don't even know how much a band is. And if I had two bands, I'd probably buy a mother oven that works. So it's proven. I am a scrub. I'm as scrubby as a Brillo pad. Scrubby as elbow grease. I don't roll. I scrub down the block. Strangely enough, though, I can play basketball. And pretty well. But I'm slowing now. Getting older. 157 pounds of pattern balding and aging. Out there on the court, an imposter, an actor in glasses just staging. My crossover won't break your ankles, not anymore. Hopefully stretch your shoes, make you buy new ones at the store. But I'll be incapable, soon. Old and decrepit. Stiff, inflexible, awkward as a monoped. A feeling ever-increasing, developing, scrub-mazing. Number one, the ultimate. The president of Scrub Nation. This episode is dedicated to the man who delivered my brand new oven last year. It is amazing to bake bread. Thank you, sir. I didn't catch your name. And to everybody listening today, I appreciate it. Please recommend this podcast to one other person if you haven't yet. And thank you for listening to the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. (laughs) 
and my